785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com. And thanks for tuning in. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national. But doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets The Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. City Council Maker Sina Vadivia Alcala about all the latest grants happenings on the City Council. But first, as always, we want to start our show off with beer. Uh, so we are incredibly excited tonight uh, to get the lowdown on this summer's Tap That event, one of the best beer festivals uh, that you can attend all summer here in Topeka. And to share about that, uh, we are pumped to have Stephanie Wilhelm with Visit Topeka uh, with us tonight. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is as people have been thinking about, you know, returning to, to some kind of normal and getting back out there and things, I know this is an event that's been on a lot of people's minds. So, you know, for, for the few people out there who may not have attended before, uh, can you share just a little bit about kind of what Tap That is? Of course. So Tap That Topeka is our annual beer festival. It's held downtown in front of the Capitol. So not only is it a really fun experience, it's an awesome view, especially at sunset. But it is, like its title says, a beer festival. It's the, we claim to be the biggest one in the Midwest. And it's usually stretching three blocks, over 300 beers. That might look a little different this year, but you're going to get the same experience. But it is a beer festival where you can taste lots and lots and lots of different kinds of beers and find your next favorite from our distributors and local breweries. That's awesome. And gosh, I, I forget that. What year will this be for the event? This is the eighth year, oh so gosh. we did have a small gap last year, so yeah. this is technically the eighth year of having it, so it has been around for a while, so, you know, if there's anybody left who hasn't gone, you should definitely give it a shot. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's been, I think I've ever gone to the first or second one, and it's been amazing to see uh, how much it's grown over the years, I mean, it's, it really is an awesome way to uh, kind of kick off the, the summer, um, and, and speaking of, can you tell us what the date and times are for, for this year's event? We will be having Tap That on June 12th. That's a Saturday from awesome. 3 to 7 p.m. Your entry time depends on your ticket type. We have VIP tickets as well as general admission tickets. The cool thing about those VIPs is you get in a little bit earlier and you get some exclusive beers that the general tickets won't get, as well as you get access to a VIP tent with food and lots of, uh, I think we're going to have wings from Blue Moose and, you know, water, sodas, things like that. So you get an extra shady place to hang out in between your tastings. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I did. It was two years ago. I had a chance to do the, that VIP experience. I tell you, nothing feels cooler than being able to sit, uh, stand <laughs> under a tent and see people waiting in line. That was a that was a new experience for me. As I didn't know quite how to feel at first, but I was pretty excited to be able to stay there, stay in the cool air, and be able to to eat and everything while other people were still waiting to get in. Yeah, and who doesn't want to be VIP? Right. It was, it was a fun. It was a fun experience. Different different world for me than I than I'm used to going to those events in for sure. <laughs> 
now, of course, this year, Neil, you kind of mentioned this. This year might look a little different um, due to COVID. Are there any changes or anything you're anticipating for this year's event? Well, just like with anything right now, we are going to be encouraging distancing um, through your separate groups, like come in with your group of friends, but let's not create larger groups. But sure. we do understand that this is outside and we do have hope that come June, even restrictions will be lifted even more. And we are very comfortable having this event in June. We've been working with the Shawnee County Health Department, so we know we're on the right track. Some things that might look a little different, though, is we are going to ask that people don't hand off their glasses to the pourers, which is absolutely like not a hindrance because oh, you sure. just hold out your glass, get that drink poured in, and then move on instead of handing it off. So it just, you know, you don't have to have anybody else touch your glass. And some of those times where you like to rinse between, we're going to have a different setup so you're not just dipping it into a tub. And so... It's not going to be a lot, and you probably won't even notice it, but there are some things there to help keep everybody a little bit safer while we get back to normal. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and, you know, when, and when you think about this year's event, you know, what, are you, what are you most excited about for, for this year's event? Well, for me, I'm just excited to get back out there, and I think everybody is. <laughs> We've been waiting so long to just go do things. So... I know that we are, as a community, we're opening up again. We have tap, or we have tulip time going on right now, yeah. and just things leading up to tap that. But we hope to see everybody out there and just really having a great time. And I think everybody's ready for it. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think for for some folks, this might be their first uh, big event they've had a chance to go out and, and participate in the community. Yeah, and I hope they do come, and we're going to do everything we can to make everyone feel comfortable and safe and still have a great time. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I know that's great to hear, too, of course, that you've been consulting with the health department, doing all those kinds of things, um, as well to keep people safe. Well, very cool. Now, how, if people are, are excited, you know, I know that they can go ahead and uh, I think uh, tickets are, are available to purchase already, so where can people find those tickets at? You can go to tapthattopeka.com, and that'll give you your landing page with a bunch of information and then a link to move forward to purchase those tickets. And like I said, we do have VIP tickets and general admission. So those VIPs are running at $65, and they are limited. So if you're interested, go get them now because they will run out soon. Awesome. And then we have general admission at $35. So both are completely affordable, and whichever level you're looking for, you're going to have fun. We also have some VIP designated driver tickets, so they can get into that uh, VIP experience tent, but get their non-alcoholic beverages to enjoy the day and stay hydrated, as well as a general DD. So that way they can be in there with their friends and they'll have water and, you know, every, it's something for everybody. And it's just a good time being out there with absolutely. the DJ and food trucks. So, yeah, yeah it's a good just, time. That's good looking out too for the designated drivers also. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and on the and the food for you, know, you mentioned too. So you know, of course, it's a beer festival, but you know, especially over the last couple of years, it's really grown too. So you know, there's food trucks. You want to talk about you know, kind of what else people can experience when they're there? Oh yeah. So when you walk in, you're going to see these tents stretching down a couple of blocks, and on each side of those is your tech tastings. But before you even get there, you're going to walk past a group of food trucks. So you can make sure you can grab a snack or a dinner, whatever you need to kind of balance out right. your beverage intake. And just, you know, stay hydrated and stay Absolutely. keep your belly full there. And then in the middle of the setup, we'll have our DJ again. And if you were there in 2019, that was, I think, the first year we had a DJ. And yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> just the view in front of the Capitol after the sun went down and everybody dancing and yeah. we had the top city sign and i honestly it was just one of the best experiences i think we i've experienced in the city and it's just it's so much fun and i hope to see everyone out there 
Absolutely. Now, you know, uh, of course, as our official tap that guru, you know, if, if folks are planning on going, maybe it's their first time going, you know, what are, what are your recommendations to kind of make the most of, of uh, the event? Well, we are a rain or shine event, so definitely uh, keep an eye out on the weather. And if it's hot and sunny, dress accordingly <laughs> and get that sunscreen. And, and we'll have water there for you, so make sure you pick that up along your way. But if it's rainy, you know, raincoats, umbrellas, <laughs> whatever you need to make it through, because we don't stop unless if the weather really doesn't want us to. Um so, yeah, just be prepared for all of that and then have some fun with it. We've had people show up in costumes and people had ducks out there last year yeah. and pretzel necklaces and yeah. themed shirts, bachelorette parties. It's yeah, it's it's cool to see what everybody comes up with. Absolutely. That's, that would be fair. The, the pretzel necklace game totally like changed my life. Once I found out about yes. that, I was like, this is awesome. Yes. <laughs> That's very good. It's very true about the rain or shine, y'all. I think it was two or three years ago. It did rain quite a bit. I tapped that, but that did not stop us. Uh, turns out no, you can still drink during the rain. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Stephanie, we are, are so looking forward to that event. And thanks for, for coming on and joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a reminder, folks. Again, that is tap that Topeka.com um, is where you can go to purchase your tickets uh, for this year's Tap That event. Remember, they've got both VIP and general admission uh, tickets. So make sure if you want to up your experience, try that VIP game out. Uh, it's a way, way cool experience. But the GA tickets uh, are awesome, a good, are also a good deal. So again, tap that Topeka.com to find all the information and purchase your tickets. Uh, so folks, go ahead and stay tuned. Uh, up next, we will um, have, as always, our roundup where we talk about all the latest happenings in state and local government. So that's going to come up right after the break. Uh, you're listening to Bounce and Brews here on TSEF 75 Live Radio. Alrighty, folks, we are back with our roundup once again tonight, where we dive into the latest happening in state and local government. So we will start, as we always do, right here in Top City. Um, we're actually going to be recapping most of this week's Topeka City Council meeting um, in our next segment with uh, in our conversation with uh, City Councilwoman Valdivia Alcala. Um, so we're going to say some of the details uh, for that, but just a little note um, on City Council elections um, that are coming up here this year. More and more folks are actually signing up to run um, in this year's uh, city council elections. As a reminder, this is an odd number of years, so we are electing folks in odd number city council districts. Um, and so far, we've got declared candidates, it looks like, in every race, but district uh, district one so far. So district one is uh, that kind of downtown central district that's currently represented by uh, city councilwoman Karen Hiller. So uh, no declared candidates there yet, but uh, we've got candidates. It looks like in all the other districts, district three right now is the, the winner with uh, actually three candidates that have filed for um, that office, including the incumbent, Sylvia Ortiz, who has filed for uh, re-elections. Um, that district is actually only one candidate away from needing to have a primary election um, in August. So um, in our, according to state law, if we have uh, four or more candidates running for a city council position, then that, that is what triggers a primary election to happen in August. So just uh, one away from there. Uh, we had uh, this last week here, Pastor Marcus Clark uh, became actually the first uh, person to file for the District 5 uh, seat. That is, of course, the seat uh, currently held by uh, Deputy Mayor Mike Padilla, who uh, just announced that he is running for mayor. Um, so that is a, a wide-open seat um, that Pastor Clark has, has filed for. 
Uh, Councilwoman Karen Hiller um, is actually the only incumbent to not have uh, filed for re-election so far. So we have um, both uh, Councilman Dobler um, as well as Councilman Lesser have both filed uh, for their re-elections um, in their separate districts in District 7 and District 9. Um, but uh, Councilwoman Hiller has not yet uh, filed for re-election. We should note that they do still have, uh, there's still plenty of time for folks to sign up. June 1st is the silent, uh, filing deadline uh, for City Council elections. So if you or anyone you know um, is considering running for city council, encourage you to go to the Shawnee County Election Office website um, and check out the information they've got all. It's a, it's a great website that's got all the information laid out on uh, what you need to do to run for um, elected office, um, including for city council or even mayor. And so you still have uh, some time to get the, that documentation together. So we'll be continuing to watch that um, between now and June 1st to see uh, what other folks sign up. We still have just one declared candidate for mayor, so that's uh, the current deputy mayor, Mike Padilla. Um, that's declared his candidacy, but I'm sure there will be others that will be coming forward uh, within due time. So we'll be continuing to, to watch that. Uh, the biggest news of out of the county, head up to the county level, the, the biggest news for the county actually happened just a little earlier uh, today when the Shawnee County Commission met for uh, their Thursday meeting. Uh, one of the things that was decided there is that they are actually letting the Shawnee County mask mandate expire at midnight tonight. Um, so you'll recall a couple weeks ago at their uh, county commission meeting, they made a decision to uh, keep the mandate in place, but at that time they allowed uh, private businesses the opportunity to opt out of the mandate if they wished, um, but the mandate itself would still be in existence and it was set to expire actually today. Um, and today, uh, Commissioner Cook informed uh, reporters that the county commission uh, has decided that they will allow that order to expire. Uh, now, this, of course, comes on the day that our new health indicator score uh, came out just this morning. It indicated that our score actually went up five points, which is not a good thing in this case. So we saw a 22% increase in cases um, in the last week. And actually, our hospital stress score, um, that being the score that measures how well our hospitals are doing at handling the impact of COVID-19, um, that score also increased. Um, and, of course, this uh, is happening in contradiction to all the settled signs that masks are one of the best ways of slowing the spread of COVID-19. And despite the fact that several cases of the highly contagious, highly deadly UK variant of COVID were discovered in Shawnee County just a few weeks ago, and despite the fact that our county isn't even at the halfway mark in terms of the level of vaccine doses administered that we need to be to reach that critical herd immunity that Derek talked about our show on our show last week. So... Uh, seems like a really good time to let an ass mandate uh, expire, right? And, and of course, let's not forget, um, importantly, that this whole change uh, brought about uh, was brought about by really state legislation. Uh, so yeah, we had some sweeping changes that were made to the Kansas Emergency Management Act, and one of those changes was that it allowed snowflakes, uh, I mean, anyone that was potentially aggrieved uh, by a county's mask mandate to file an action against the county, um, leaving the county open for all kinds of litigation. And as you'll recall, not only was it that did it allow someone to file an action against the county, it mandated that the action had to be heard within only a, in a judgment rendered within uh, just a few days. Um, and I can tell you that there is not a lot of uh, action that moves through our courts with that kind of speed, much less something like this. And so it was basically asking uh, for counties to, to uh, relax their standards, uh, relax their prohibitions, which many states uh, around, or many counties around the 
state, including Shawnee County, have, of course, uh, now done. So if you haven't opened a beer yet, uh, this might be the time to do so. Um, I could go on and on about how dumb this decision is, but all I will say is that perhaps... Perhaps if our elected officials put as much time and energy into promoting the vaccine and other proven and effective public health measures as they put into undercutting the words of public work of public health and spreading disinformation and conspiracy theories, perhaps we wouldn't be as worried about how our numbers are doing in our community. Just saying. Speaking of the legislature, uh, if you've noticed lately that things seem much calmer in the capital city, uh, perhaps there's a certain air of crazy that's not around anymore. Um, that would be because the Kansas legislature has left town. Uh, that's right, last Friday marked the crucial first adjournment deadline where legislators complete their regular business with the legislature um, and then hit the road for a couple weeks before coming back um, on May 3rd for what's called the veto session. Um, that time, that veto session is meant to be meant to be an abbreviated uh, time uh, reserved for legislators to come back and, one, uh, pass any budget items they didn't get passed during the regular session. This is often known as the omnibus spending bill. Um, and two, it's called a veto session because this is their last chance to override any vetoes that Governor Kelly may have issued um, on things that passed during the regular session. Uh, so for those keeping score at home, we're going to go ahead and review the status of things that happened in the voting palooza that was occurring actually as we were talking um, on last week's show. Um, a side note, if you happen to be on Twitter uh, during that time at the end of last week, uh, the legislature officially went into uh, hashtag KSLedge after dark mode uh, because they were staying up pretty late to get their business done. So that whole analogy we've talked about before about waiting until the last minute to study for your college finals, it still holds up. Okay, so here it goes. Um, first up, we talked about, you know, we've talked about this a lot, the anti-trans uh, student bill um, that banned students from trans students from participating in high school sports. Um, we've talked about that bill a lot. Unfortunately, the bill did pass. Um, it is unclear right now. The governor has not said um, whether she will veto the bill or not. A debate on this um, legislation got pretty nasty, um, especially in the state Senate. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of debate on the bill um, and a lot of strong words used. You know, there were um, there was at one point in time when a, a, a Democrat member of the, the state Senate um, um, began to uh, read aloud a list of names of uh, trans uh, students who had committed suicide or have died um, in the last year, and that was met um, with great offense from Republican members of the legislature. Um, there's one point when another Democratic senator referred to this as uh, crappy legislation, and uh, the Senate, which just always cracks me up, you know, for all the, the words and all the debate that happens in the Senate, all the things that people say back and forth, the Senate is very, it's very very uppity about its decorum and about um, being very uh, polite and civil um, in their debate. And so this uh, mention of this legislation as crappy legislation threw a huge, uh, gave huge offense to Republicans in the legislature who immediately registered uh, their displeasure uh, with that term um, and saying that it violated the decorum of the, the state Senate. Um, I think there's some senators that defy, that, uh, defy the decorum of the state Senate, but it's a whole other 
uh, discussion. Uh, but needless to say, it was a, an interesting and at times uh, very intense debate uh, in the state Senate. Um, in the wake of this bill passing, things have also gotten really interesting. You know, the NCAA has actually stepped up, um, and they have said nationally that they will actually pull um, any NCAA tournaments or events from any state that passes um, legislation that discriminates against trans athletes, like the legislation that was passed in Kansas. Um, of course, legislators have been pretty defiant um, in the face of that. They are saying they will not back down, um, and they are sticking to um, their line that this bill uh, protects women in sports. So it will be interesting to see what the governor does um, with that bill. Uh, next up, we've, of course, talked about the legislature's attempts to clamp down on uh, Kansas election law uh, with measures that would put restrictions on ballots that someone can deliver on behalf of another person. It would prevent the Secretary of State from extending the deadline for receiving mail ballots. You know, we talked about other restrictions that this puts on county election offices um, and that sort of thing. This was all, mind you, comes on the heels of Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab, who was actually our first guest we had on this show, um, who, who testified earlier to the state, state legislature that there were no there were no abnormalities in Kansas's election this past year. Nevertheless, um, this is as as so many other things were this legislative session. This uh, package of bills was part of a national effort um, by Republicans to uh, to secure. I'm using air quotes right now um, elections and make them uh, make them. Uh, more uh, secure or fair um, in their eyes. Um, and so this uh, package of laws was actually two different bills that actually uh, were passed. Uh, the governor has not said um, if she will sign or veto these bills. Um, if she does veto, it does not look like the House actually has a two-thirds majority that will be needed to override um, the veto on those bills. Um, we also talked, of course, about the bill that requires a uh, uh, students pass a civics test for graduation. Um, that bill um, was also paired with a measure that would require financial literacy courses um, to be taught in schools. Um, that bill did pass. Um, interestingly enough, the State Board of Education met just a couple days ago. And we talked before, there was lots of, of, of debate and mention among legislators that, you know, this whole idea of legislators um, setting curriculum really is outside their role, and that's really the purview of the State Board of Education. Uh, the State Board of Ed met the other day, um, and they agree. Um, it's interesting to note, the State Board of Ed, like the members of the State Board of Ed, um, very rarely do they unanimously agree on things. Like, there's always usually some kind of difference of opinion there. Um, but they actually unanimously approved a resolution um, expressing their displeasure uh, with the legislature over passage of this bill. And further stating that they will uh, pursue uh, any and all remedies that they see fit uh, when it comes to uh, looking at the legislature's um, exercise of power in this area. They were very clear um, that they see um, themselves and only themselves um, as the ones that have that statutory authority uh, to govern curriculum in Kansas schools. Um, the governor has not yet indicated what she will do uh, with that bill. Um, and of course, before getting out of town, the legislature did pass the state budget. It's a 20 billion dollar state budget to be exact. Uh, it does a lot of things. Uh, one thing it does not do is fund K-12 education. Uh, that's right. The budget on the way to Governor Kelly's desk right now includes zip. 
zero, nada, uh, for K through 12 education. Uh, now, before any of you kids out there get too excited and think that school's out forever, uh, this is a little bit of a procedural issue slash just awkward issue altogether. Uh, the K through 12 budget actually got held up in the state Senate um, and it was actually a little entertaining. So you'll recall one of the issues in the proposed education um, budget that was a real stickler in the state Senate was this expansion of a voucher program that would allow uh, students' families to receive dollars, state dollars that they could then take and put towards students' private school tuition. Um, this is an effort seen by many as an attempt to funnel state general fund dollars, education dollars, into private education, uh, which of course further contributes to inequities in our education system and calls into question the role of, of those dollars, those state do dollars, and how they can be used. Now that part's not the entertaining part. The entertaining part uh, was that when it came time to vote, they did a kind of preliminary headcount vote, and they saw that the, the bill was at tw uh, 20 to 18 um, before officially voting, and there were two senators um, not present. So it was a close vote. Um, and so they were needing those other two senators to, to be there so that they could vote. Uh, it so happens that one of the host senators was one Gene Solentrop. Uh, yes, that Gene Solentrop, as in disgraced of now former uh, Senate Majority Leader Gene Solentrop. Uh, turns out that he uh, went home uh, earlier that day, and um, he had, of course, no way to drive back to the State House because he can't drive right now since he got arrested for DUI. Hashtag awkward. Uh, so the Senate actually uh, was not able to uh, pass uh, that measure out of the Senate. Um, and speaking of good old Sully, we'll end our, our recap on this though. He had an interesting last uh, day of the legislature, last or well, first adjournment day in the legislature. Um, so yeah, you say former Senate Majority Leader, the uh, Senate Republican Caucus did um, vote to strip him of his title as Senate Majority Leader. He is still a state senator, um, but they did take his title away as the Senate Majority Leader. They actually had the vote to do it because he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't resign the position himself. So they were actually forced to um, vote on it. Um, I think a lot of people would have preferred him to just resign, um, but they actually had to vote to remove the title. Um, this comes on the same day that his full arrest report uh, was released, and it was a doozy, y'all. Uh, turns out, as you would, as one would expect from someone that drove on a highway the wrong way, almost hitting multiple cars. Uh, the dude was hammered. Um, he had a blood alcohol content of 0.17. Uh, it turns out in the course of being arrested and processed and all that, he referred to the police officer as, quote, donut boy. Uh, and then at various points while he was waiting to be processed, uh, threatened to fight the officer. Um, and, and like the best, like this was like classic, like old white man stuff. Like he literally sat there and talked about how he was an athlete in high school and then said that he bet that he could take him referring to the uh, police officer uh, so you guys it was it was special so after that report came out I think the writing was on the wall um, and it was pretty clear that he needed to go uh, from his legislative leadership position at the least uh, so friends that that is that uh, so sure I, I mentioned we'll be back on May 3rd for our veto session so we still have uh, a couple weeks of peace and quiet to enjoy before they return so stay tuned um, and speaking of staying tuned we're going to take a break right now so go ahead and stay tuned up next we're going to have
have a really fun, great conversation with City Councilwoman Christina Valdivia Alcala. So you'll want to tune in for that. Um, so that's going to come up next here after the break. And remember, you're listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSS 785 Live Radio. Seven eight five magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at seven eight five live.com and thanks for tuning in. Well, welcome back, folks. We are so excited to have our next guest on tonight. We are so pleased uh, to have Councilwoman Christina Valdivia Alcala representing District 2 on the show tonight. Christina, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Angel, for inviting me, or should I say... Angelito. Angel is my, <laughs> Angel is my dad's name. Oh my gosh. A lot of, a lot of folks call him Angelito. Oh, that's oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I get that with my family as well. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> so we're we, we're already connected. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, as we get started tonight, can you t- tell folks a little bit about yourself? You know, outside of your role on on the city council. Uh, well, um, you know, born and and. Raised partially in Topeka, in Oakland, uh, where I went to school and where my family uh, worked, my grandparents, a lot of my relatives, and then grew up on a, also part-time on a farm uh, outside of Grantville. So I know the country vibe and the Topeka vibe and lifelong uh, resident, except for when I lived in Alaska for a few years. Um, i come from a family that is steeped in uh, volunteering uh, in civil rights, Uh, did a lot at Our Lady Guadalupe for a number of years, anything from, you know, teaching uh, CCD to uh, counting money at the Fiesta, volunteering at Fiesta, and finally being on the Fiesta uh, committee after my daughter ran for royalty. Traveled to El Salvador as a non-traditional college student at Washburn and interviewed some ex-combatants after the Civil War. Oh, my gosh. Uh, do writing, oral history, and have a small nonprofit called the Southern Seed Society, which is focused on educating and preserving Latino, Chicanx, uh, indigenous art culture. And we also focus on social, uh, economic, and uh, environmental justice. Very cool. Very good. Now I have to ask that you had that random detour in Alaska. What, what, what was that about? It was cold. Angel. <laughs> it was cold. I bet. I bet. <laughs> it was cold and it was dark. <laughs> it's exactly what I picture when I think of Alaska. <laughs> picture that. Right, exactly. Uh, it, it was a hard transition. So I had family that lived there. My brother lived there. So sure. I ended up staying there. Uh, gave birth to my daughter there, got married there, and then, you know, we came back in 1985 to Kansas. There, so. there you go. Where it yeah. gets cold here, but not that cold. That's a whole it other level of cold. Get cold. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good perspective to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, well, you, know, you mentioned you know, the the your background and how active you've been able to be in the the city. So, you know, what motivated you to run for city council? Was that kind of the natural extension of some of that involvement? You know, Angel, I, really it wasn't. Uh, I never, ever uh, saw myself as being in a political office. I mean, obviously, you know, my husband was on city council. He now serves in the state, legislate, uh, state legislature. Yeah. Uh, but never, ever 
did I see myself in that capacity? And I say that because I think that that's really important for people, young folks, especially middle-aged folks, too, that if you've never seen yourself in that role and if you see things that you believe strongly need to be fixed and addressed in your community, then don't ever consider it outside of your role because there's too many folks that believe that to serve in an elected office, you have to be a certain type of individual or have a certain type of amount of education or status, and none of that is true. We, you know, in any public office, we are the same as the average Joe, and it is just the seat that we step into that affords us the power, but understand that it's always the people's votes that has given us that. It's not something that we bring on our own. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so really it was just, you know, people had talked to me about it, you know, for a number of years, and I'm just like, no, I, I, run, I was working full-time, I run a small nonprofit, and we do a lot of good things, I just never saw myself, and finally it just got to the point where I started considering it seriously, um, and I wrote, you know, I prayed on it, I talked, you know, to my husband about it a lot, um, my family, as far as my daughter, et cetera. Sure. And, you know, I just I, I just went ahead and made the decision to do it. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, you kind of had, you know, you mentioned, of course, with, with uh, your husband, John's role on the city council, you kind of had a front row seat to kind of what that experience would, would be like in some ways. Well, <laughs> I saw the good, the bad, and the other. I was going to say, you saw it all. <laughs> Gosh, you know, when, when you, you know, knowing that, having that background that you had, was there still anything that surprised you about um, camp when you were out campaigning or when you when you joined the council at first? Um, you know, I mean, in, this is really weird. I'm an introvert by oh. nature. So it was, even though I had helped my husband before in a number of campaigns, uh, you know, done a lot of letter writing, all, all of this kind of stuff, the door-to-door -door was something that I had done, but I had never done as intensely as running for office. And so sure. I think it surprised me because I work good, I work well as a team. It, you know, if we're all focused on the same mission, sure. uh, I work really well with the team. I, I like working one-on-one -on -one with people because I've done customer service since I was 18. That's all, that's oh, all I've ever done. And so when I got out there, I was surprised actually going door-to-door -door that it got easier instead of harder. Oh. And, you know, these are nonpartisan races, and so I was knocking at everybody's doors. You know, I had doors slammed on me. I had you know, blah, blah, blah. But the majority was a very, very good and eye-opening experience. So I think that that's, uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit because uh, the door-to-door -door is just relentless when you're camping. Sure. And so that was a good surprise to meet so many people willing to talk and engage and talk about what they felt you know, was missing or needed or what was good about the city, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I would Absolutely. say that. Well, and, you know, as you, um, you know, as you joined the council, you know, what do you think's been your, your favorite part so far? What do you think's been the, the hardest or, or most challenging part so far? I think that my favorite part is working directly uh, in the community. I'm, <laughs> I just really um, draw a lot of energy from 
uh, planning initiatives, working on initiatives. For instance, we have a Oakland garden, a community of growers. Um, oh, yeah. you know, we've been working with a couple of individuals even since I w before I was elected on the idea of a community garden. And now since we're moving a bit past COVID, uh, we've been able to just secure everything we need along with the volunteers and the volunteers are crucial in the neighborhood to have those people that are willing to, to do that work. And so we're breaking sod uh, this coming Saturday at the Lundgren School. Uh, and, you know, we have 12, you know, committed volunteers and we're anticipating that more, more folks will come on board. We're going to have uh, classes on how to can the produce that is raised. We're going to give it out free within our community help get kids involved, you know, we have some office space there. So it's really these type of initiatives that um, I adore doing when I'm working uh, elbow to elbow with constituents. Sure, sure. Uh, that's that's great. Well, and, you know, I, I imagine that no one told you that there was going to be a global pandemic happening within your first, uh, yeah. first part of the, your service on the city council yeah. either. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, when you asked about the challenging part or the hard part, you know, so many people, all the suffering that happened with COVID both mm -hmm. here and nationally and, and here locally, you know, the city, as far as, you know, who we are as individual uh, council people coming to the Tuesday night meetings and all of that, we did not do a lot of really intense engagement surrounding COVID like the shop, you know, like the county did, sure, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so I found with that first year, it really just derailed so much of how, obviously, I saw my first year. But just seeing the toll that it took, especially on elders, on families that were disconnected, oh, and sure. that the role that we played as council people, as a body, was relatively limited. And so the first days of the COVID, I was you know, maybe the first two or three months, and we have a number of senior centers around here. I was just kind of so concerned about the seniors not having their center to go to because sure, they yeah. wouldn't be able to go there anymore. And I didn't know what to do. And so when I don't know what to do, sometimes I then take action. So, yeah. you know, I started making individual cards for elders, you know, oh, wow. stamping them, decorating them. <laughs> yeah. I think they need, a, they need a piece of mail to open. Yeah, you know, I mean. And so the senior centers were wonderful to work with as I gave them, the, you know, the cards. I said, you don't need to say who it's for, et cetera. Just give it to them so they have something to open because all I could think about was how lonely they were going to be. Oh, so I, I, I think that there was a level of helplessness I felt even as we engaged in regular course of business sure. with how much folks were being impacted by COVID, especially our elders. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear you. I think a lot of us were kind of in that same place when COVID first happened, too, is, you know, wanting to, to do something or wanting to, to help, um, but not always knowing, you know, what to do or not always being able to help, you know, too, with different restrictions that were in place and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I know that's difficult for a lot of folks. Absolutely it is. Well, it was, you know, yeah. 
you know, we've had, uh, of course, the city council has uh, still, of course, been busy. And, of course, uh, lately there's been lots of different things that have been uh, uh, coming at you guys. Of course, you all met on uh, Tuesday evening. And so there were, uh, you know, a number of issues that uh, were up for discussion. Uh, there was one I was going to ask you about. This had to do with um, some proposed uh, reorganization that's happening uh, within city department. Some of this triggered, I think, by budget um, decisions that, that had been made. Um, but it affects the neighborhood relations department. Um, and also some of the work with neighborhood associations, neighborhood improvement associations. Can you share with folks a little bit about kind of what's uh, what's happening there, kind of what the status of that is? Well, I think that you know what it showed from Tuesday's meeting is there is definitely more discussion that had to be done due to uh, budget cuts that happened during you know the first quarter of uh, of last year. The neighborhood relations director. Uh, position was no more and so after that to my understanding the city manager came into the decision to uh, disassemble the uh, department and all of the you know uh, divisions uh, within the department are now uh, being handed off to other departments sure. for example uh, code uh, and I want to say oh what is it Code and an additional department, I, the name, I'm lost with the name right now, sure. but they're going to come under uh, TPD, uh, the Topeka Police Department, uh, the housing uh, issues and, and department that uh, Corey Wright uh, directs is now going to uh, come under uh, planning. So there's different movements that's going around, but I think what we found on uh, Tuesday when it, it was pulled from an action item to a discussion, uh, there was still enough concerns by those of us, especially that have NIAs in our district, uh, that there needed to be more dialogue because there still is a level of uncertainty within NIAs as far as how the movement uh, of community engagement, which has Monique Vlade uh, and Latoya Burton and uh, couple of other folks is now coming under the city manager's office and I think that NIAs specifically have had concerns that uh, there was too much confusion around the decision they don't want their voice to be lessened etc cetera, etc cetera. Sure. so for my district what I have heard is that they are not uh, for any of the changes that are also being talked about with NIAs and the CAC uh, which is the uh, the NIAs choose a representative that then goes to the CAC, which is a larger board that is a decision-making uh, entity, that they want to hear more first directly from the city manager and, you know, maybe chief of staff. And they also want that to be had within their NIA meeting so that uh -huh. actual neighbors can hear and, and decide about how they feel about these changes. And I think that that is proper, and I think that that is righteous. And so uh, I agree with them in totality. So I don't think that we have to be rushed to do this, uh, especially when it comes to how the NIAs and CAC uh, may or may not be uh, reformulated to some extent. And uh, I, I said as much at the meeting that I think we also need to slow down on it. Sure. Well, and, and you, know, you might want to explain to you for folks who are listening, um, just what a neighborhood improvement association is, you know, kind of how that's distinguished from a neighborhood association, if, if folks are familiar. Well, 
Well, NIAs, uh, you see uh, in neighborhoods that are low to moderate income right. uh, neighborhoods. So there are neighborhoods that fall under, if you look at our uh, community map at any given time over, you know, a uh, decade or more, I don't know how long it's been since they've started tracking. I think my husband was in office when they were doing all of this tracking. You look at, you have intensive care neighborhoods. Mm. Uh, you have uh, uh, neighborhoods, intensive care neighborhoods are, are ones that are really have a lot of issues that they're dealing with, whether it be uh, light, whether it be, uh, you know, housing issues, uh, whether it be uh, streets, uh, whether it be, you know, poor folks uh, living, you know, in that area, any number of issues. And those are uh often said the ones that need to be given consideration when federal or city monies, local monies, et cetera, uh, flow, should flow into these neighborhoods to help bring them up uh, to the level, you know, uh, that they need to be to make our entire city, uh, you know, one that we all want to live in, no matter what side of town that you're on. So, um NIAs are different in that way. And I think that one of the concerns was what are the changes going to mean with the grants that we're able to apply for? What does that mean if we're still in an intensive care state or if we're in an outpatient care state? What if we don't have the same type of focus that we need to have? Is that going to put us in a worse position than we already are? Sure. And we're looking at barely, we're not even into a post-COVID time, right? right. There is so much economic uncertainty that these NIAs have every reason uh, to question in the way that they do. Sure. And your NAs, neighborhood associations, like my folks live on the southwest side of town in Prairie Trace, which is close to Clarion. You know, they have a neighborhood association. You know, mm -hmm. my folks' home and the homes around it are, you know, higher, yeah. uh, you know, higher, uh, uh, costing uh, homes and, you know, usually their issues are you can't put a clothesline in your backyard. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> those, are, those are the kind of things people think of when they think of a neighborhood association. Yeah, those, yeah, those rules yeah. and those kinds of things. Absolutely. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah I think that's important. We talked a little bit about that before in the show, but I think that's important for uh, folks out there who are listening to know, you know, especially with these neighborhood improvement associations, that is a, a really key uh, tool, a key way for citizens to really be able to engage uh, directly with city government uh, about the, the conditions of their neighborhood and really make uh, make progress and make change happen in, in their neighborhood. Those are, are vitally Absolutely. important um, uh, groups for that. Absolutely. I, I concur. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting, too. You know, one of the things that you know, has been a, a recurring topic with the city council, and of course, across the, the country as well, is there uh, continues to be conversation uh, about uh, police reform, police accountability in our communities. Um, and, of course, that's uh, been something that's been heightened uh, again, unfortunately, in this in this last week. And, you know, I'm curious, what are some things that you think the city is doing well in terms of, of building that relationship between community and police? And, and what are some things you think that we uh, still need to improve on? Well, you know, overall, I think that, to be honest, and and I, I don't think it's right for me to be anything but honest, I think that uh, I, I'm still looking at that. I, You know, sure. we now have a new uh, police chief, uh, Brian Wheels. I can say uh, so far with 
the number of issues that we have in Oakland and North Topeka, uh, which is most of the district that I have. I have a very small section of East Topeka. Uh, he has been very responsive, accessible, and engaged with me with uh, a number of issues that have come up that need to be addressed. And so, obviously, even though as a council person, my commitment is to the entire city, my upfront, in my face experience is with my district. Right. And so I know the issues that are going on here because I get the emails, I get the phone calls, I get the porch visits where sure. people come and visit or I go visit them. And so I have been encouraged by the responsiveness of uh, the new chief. I will say overall that nothing happens in a vacuum. So obviously oh, we sure. understand that what is happening at the national level, uh, whether it be with the George Floyd uh, uh, trial with the additional, uh, you know, incidences that are uh, very troubling in nature that have happened with uh, black males here recently in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think, that we understand and with the new Biden administration and the legislation that they're hoping to uh, get passed is that change is coming. Right. And I really believe that. I think a lot of people are waiting to see what's going to happen with the outcome of the, the George Floyd trial. Um, and I think the disconcerting thing is we keep seeing situations like this pop up again and again and again. Right. And so everything federally we know will impact us ultimately at the local level. And whatever we do not do here or fail to do and act in the way for just and humane uh, police reform on both sides, uh, that ultimately we'll see it handed down to us uh, in some sort of federal capacity. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I think I agree with you that, you know, it, I think there's reasons to be encouraged um, at the at the federal level for sure. And, and even locally, too, with the fact that people are having conversations that they haven't had before, um, which right. I think is, is, is really helpful as well. I do, too. It's very imperative as well. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, you talked a little bit earlier, you know, looking uh, looking beyond um, COVID. And, you know, we, we do know as, as much as it seems sometimes like it's never going away, we know that there will be a time uh, when we yes. do get past COVID-19. Uh, and, yes. you know, when we think beyond that, you know, what are some of those things, those future priorities that you're hoping uh, that the council can get to address? Well, um, you know, as a, as a council, I mean, obviously we all have our, our different uh, agendas within our district. And then as a whole, I think as a whole, uh, my commitment is with staying uh, steadfast, seeking to learn more and engage more in the realm of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I really see myself uh, immersing in in the years to come. Because I believe that for the money that we pay for the affordable housing study, for as many meetings as have been had about the affordable study, uh, affordable housing study, and for the uh, for the mission, it's, mission isn't the right word, but for what we put through as a priorities for the next two to three years, sure. I am concerned that some of the most uh, 
egregious or most troubling or systemic issues such as the impact of redlining throughout the years is still impacting black and brown communities. Uh, the impact of not having a living wage, uh, the impact of uh, black unemployment being higher uh, in, in Topeka uh, than white and brown uh, uh, employees and, and, and their unemployment levels. Things of this nature which are systemic, which are difficult topics, but which we must bring to the table if we are going to see real and, and just and ongoing change to housing, not just in Topeka, in any city. Absolutely. It's not It's not just a Topeka thing, you know, like right. get all negative about Topeka. There's no reason to get more negative about Topeka than any other city. Cities have challenges. Challenges are to be meant to be faced, met, and dealt with. And that is my commitment. And so I will bring these uncomfortable topics to the table because I believe that there are so many young people of all stripes, of all colors, etc., that are ready and willing to talk about. Because while we may be the ones that begin the conversation, they are going to be the ones that are going to have to continue and finish these conversations. Absolutely. I, you with know, action. I with action. <laughs> Uh, well, no, I think I think you make a, a, a great point. And, you know, one of the things I think is interesting too is that sometimes government gets at government at any level uh, gets a, a bad rap for kind of you know waiting until waiting until the house is on fire essentially, uh, waiting until a problem becomes so so bad that you have to address it instead of being really you know proactive and trying to address things as they go. And so you know, it sounds like it's, it's we're hopeful we can have some of these conversations about some of these long term kind of strategic changes that we can work on now instead of waiting for next kind of crisis to happen. And, and I think that more and more, Angel, we're going to see, again, not just with the city of Topeka, and again, contingent upon uh, young people. I mean, I'm, I'm 59. So we have to look at almost everything that I can envision when it comes to working with people, working within communities as proactive rather than reactive. Because if we continually stay in a reactive mode, we're always going to be behind. Absolutely. Now, for somebody like me, maybe that won't be as big of a deal. For somebody that is out there suffering in community or someone that is dealing with inequity or someone that is, for whatever many reasons that we can come up with, a reactive government, again, no matter where it is, is right. not beneficial. So we have to start looking from a different lens. And we have to reimagine how we see especially local government, because I truly believe it's the last bastion of democracy. Absolutely. Do you and John ever compare notes about you know, whose who's level of, of government you know, is more productive or, or gets more things done? No, because we know it's mine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, <funny>. babe. <laughs> oh, he knows. I'm sure he knows. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you know, as we uh, wrap up here, every time we have an elected official on, we always like to play a, a fun little lightning round uh, game of local favorites from your, your district. If that works for you. That's good. I'm good. Oh, right. And, yeah, we should remind folks of your district, too. Do you want to uh, remind folks kind of where geographically your district is in the city? Oh, come on. <laughs> so I'm over, like, I would cover 
of to about fourth, no, about sixth and Branner. Okay. And then coming back north, I go all the way, a little way past Highway 24. Yeah. Then going west, I am just a tad around, right around where you get around uh, Goodyear. And then going east, um, I cut off where about Seward and Chester, somewhere around in there. Look, yeah. I failed. I failed geography. <laughs> so do not do this to me. That is math, but not my good judgment. <laughs> I, I totally sympathize with you there. That, that, that totally works. Like, doggone it! Doggone it! If you call me and need help, I'm there. There is so, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, safe to say, a good chunk of North Topeka and then also a good yeah. chunk of Oakland as well. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Well, so knowing that, so your your favorite local restaurant in your district. Wheelbarrow. Oh, good choice. Good choice. Yes. Uh, favorite outdoor spot to relax in your district? My backyard at 520. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good deal. There was, I think it was Neil Dobler, I think, had the same answer. Actually, it was his own backyard. I was like, that, that's a good I have, answer. I have, I, have a, I have a patio. I have an above ground pool. I have a garden where I can pick my tomatoes off of the floor. Absolutely, I love it. Oh, uh, your your favorite attraction or thing to do in your your district? I would say honestly, it is taking a walk either around the Santa Fe Park or Miller mm-hmm. Park. They have such a good uh, walking area, and sometimes when you just need. And especially during this time, you know, COVID just need to get out. It's close, it's accessible, uh, and it's good to see, to know that you can see people there that you know walking down that same trail and path. So I'm yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if you had to use uh, one word to describe your district, what would it be? Hardworking. Mm, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, what is one word you'd use to describe your hope for the future of your district? Interconnectedness. Ooh, that's a good one. That's not one we've had before. I like it. Hey. Oh, good. And then, uh, of course, our last question, because it's Bouts and Brews, we always have to ask, uh, you know, at the end of the day, after a, a long day's work, do you have a favorite beer or cocktail or other kind of drink you like to relax with? Uh, I'm a Sex in the City girl, so uh-huh. I am forever a Cosmo, a good Cosmo, or if the bartender, bartender by some chance does not know how to make a Cosmo, then I have a rum and coke with lime. Oh, good choice. Well, can't go wrong with rum and coke. It's always a yeah. good choice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Christine, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us tonight. Well, Angelito, thank you, too. I I think I may have seen you before. I don't know. But next time, <laughs> if you see a woman with a long braid in her hair, it looks like she's going on a mission. It <laughs> looks uh, Chicana. That would be me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just shout out. It'll be good. Okay. Shout out. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll look forward to, to keeping in touch with everything that's going on at the city council for sure. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Angel. All right, folks, we are wrapping things up like we always do tonight with our take action moment of the night. Um, and at the risk of sounding like an LMFAO song, we are once again talking about shots. Uh, side note, by the way, how has no one ever approached the guys from LMFAO about doing like a special PSA version of their song to encourage folks to get their shots? I'm just saying. Biden, Fauci, y'all need to get on that. Uh, anyway, uh, just first an update as to where things are with vaccines. So here in Kansas, uh, 35% of Kansans um, have actually received at least one dose of the vaccine. Uh, 22.3% of us are actually fully vaccinated, including uh, yours truly here tonight. Um, here in Shelley County, we are currently vaccinating at a rate of about 358 per 1,000 people, which isn't too bad, um, though I will say it's not quite as good as our neighbors uh, next door in Douglas County. Uh, they are at one, uh, 475 5.2 per 1,000. They're actually leading the state in the vaccination rates. Uh, not that it's a competition, but I'm just saying, I think we can beat them. Uh, so, just some, some numbers to know about. Now, you may have heard some news this week about vaccines, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, Johnson Johnson. Uh, now, I say all this going into it, of course, as a recipient of the good old J&J vaccine myself, um, the FDA has issued a what they're calling a pause in the issuance of the Johnson Johnson vaccine. And so you've probably seen, of course, here in Shawnee County and, of course, places around the, um, the country have paused on and giving out that um, vaccine. Um, the, FDA's, uh, the FDA has asked for that pause in order to conduct an investigation as to whether there is any connection between um, that vaccine and the development of blood clots. Now, this all comes um, uh, as a result, and this is extremely, extremely important information to know, really, again, to get the facts about what's, what's happening here. Um, there's been about 6.8 million doses of Johnson Johnson vaccine administered. Um, out of those 6.8 million doses, there are six individuals um, who, subsequent to their shot, um, developed blood clots, um, deep vein thrombosis, that being the, the fancy scientific word uh, for that. Um, we don't know if there is a connection yet between the vaccine vaccine and uh, developing um, those blood clots, but out of an abundance of caution, uh, the FBA has decided to pause on the issuance of the drug while they conduct their investigation. Uh, just to give you some additional perspective here, when we talk about this deep vein thrombosis, these blood clots, um, each year there's about 900,000 people across the country um, who suffer from uh, deep vein thrombosis, DVT, as the cool kids say. Um, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, 900,000 folks on the average year out of the nearly 328 million folks that live in the United States, uh, which means that, that 900,000 people, that accounts for about 0.002% of the population that will suffer um, uh, DVT uh, due to blood clots. Now, in the case of what we're talking about here with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, we're talking about six people out of 6.8 million, uh, which accounts for about 0.00008% of folks uh, who, have, uh, who have suffered this uh, blood clot condition. Uh, there's a reason the FDA calls this a serious but very rare um, disorder. So again, we're talking about 0.00008% of folks who receive that vaccine that develop this blood clot. Um, and in a, in a regular year when there's 0. 
0.002% of the general population um, that develops these blood clots. So this is all, these are all very rare conditions, very serious, but very rare. Um, but because it is serious, the FDA does want to, to do an investigation to see if there is any uh, connection. Um, you know, when you look statistically, you have a better chance of getting hit by a car um, than you do of developing a blood clot if you receive the Johnson Johnson vaccine. Um, as I mentioned, I myself received the vaccine now a little over a month ago. Um, I've been perfectly fine since then. I am a little bummed I haven't discovered any superpowers yet, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, point being, please do not let this news discourage you and your loved ones from getting the vaccine. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are still being distributed in Shawnee County, and as a reminder, there are several ways you can find where to get a vaccine. Uh, here in Shawnee County, you can go to the Shawnee County Health Department's website at snco.us hd. Again, that's snco.us hd, and just click vaccine in the middle of the page to find all the important information you'll need about where to get the vaccine. It is important to note, I have heard this many times over the last week that the Stormont Vale Event Center, as well as other venues in town that are distributing vaccines, um, have actually had lots of open times uh, where there's no one waiting uh, to get a vaccine, where they're just kind of waiting around uh, for people. There's actually, I think the uh, Kansas State Historical Society today had a walk-in uh, clinic for vaccines where you didn't even need to schedule an appointment or anything like that. So there are a lot of these sites that are really, y'all, just waiting around for people uh, to come in and get vaccinated. So don't make these good people wait. Um, you know, head to that website, again, snco.us slash hd, um, and click vaccines. So you'll find all the different ways on there you can access places in the community that are distributing uh, that vaccine. Uh, another important website you can go to is the state's website, kansasvaccine.gov. You can click Find My Vaccine at the top, and it'll direct you to where you can find uh, your uh, the, the vaccine in any county in the state of Kansas. So if there's any uh, out of Shawnee County folks out there, if you've got family and friends throughout the state, you can let them know to head to kansasvaccine.gov and click Find My Vaccine, and it'll show them all the locations in any county in Kansas uh, of where they can find a vaccine in their area. Uh, as a side note, too, while you're on that kansasvaccine.gov website, there's a little button at the top that says Data. Um, and when you click that button, it takes you to Nerd City. You can get all kinds of information and statistics about the vaccine in Kansas. How many we've distributed, where each county is on their distribution, demographic information of who's received the vaccine. It's updated regularly. It's very cool. Um, so if you want to go right to the source to get some good data, um, that's where you can where you can go to. Um, so again, folks, yo, you heard Derek mention last week that 70% threshold we need to reach to to get to herd immunity um, with the vaccine to get to a really good place uh, where we know that we can um, help really curb uh, the spread of the virus in our community. Um, as a state, we're only about 22% of the way there uh, when it comes to people being fully vaccinated. So we've still got a long ways to go. Um, so I encourage you to talk to your friends, your family, your neighbors, uh, the guy who grooms your pet, I don't know, whoever else is in your life that you care about um, and that you talk to regularly. I encourage you to talk to them and encourage them uh, to think about getting the, the vaccine so we can all do our part. Um, you know, the sooner we reach that herd immunity number, the sooner um, we can get a high number of folks vaccinated, the sooner we can all get out there for events like Tap That um, and any other events that might be uh, coming up uh, as well. So again, please encourage your, your folks and those with, uh, your loved ones, people you care about, uh, to find that vaccine information and make use of all the places um, out here in Shawnee County where you can get access to your vaccine. So folks, that is our show for tonight. We will catch you next Wednesday 
Uh, so until then, please, 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 oh, next Thursday, not next Wednesday. I don't know what I was thinking about. So we will catch you all next Thursday. Uh, so until then, please, please, please stay safe. Wear your mask, social distance, get your vaccine, uh, drink some good beer, and we will see you next week here on Ballads and Brews. I'm Casey 75. Already.